0: And let's commit the time to the Lord. Lord, indeed we thank you for bringing each one of us here this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we come with all the things that we came with, the challenges that we have been going through for the weeks, days, months, I pray, Lord, that your word will speak to us, that we'll encounter you, and we will live this century, live this time of fe- singing your word, fellowshipping and listening to your word encouraged and refreshed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most of you are here, I think there are a few new folks here, but most of you are here will know that i have overseeing the Boys and Girls Brigade Ministry in ARPC. I've been doing that for the last 11 years. and It's always been a joy to do that. And I know that the Boys and the Girls Brigade Ministry minister predominantly to pre-believers. These are students that will join the BB and the GB as CCA in their schools. And most of them see BBGB, nothing more than just a CCA. Students learn many life skills. And they also learn various uh, kinds of, they do various kinds of adventure stuff, learn various kinds of adventure skills. So from an outreach perspective, we want to teach all those things, but we also want them to know Jesus. So the officers spend time weekly to connect with them, to teach them, to teach them God's Word, and to journey with them through the different life stages in their lives. And I always remind myself and my fellow officers that the boys and girls learn about our Lord Jesus, about His love, through their sight more than their hearing. So what I meant by that, they actually eyeball us the way we live out the Gospel. If our lives and the way we deal with matters of the boys and girls' brigade does not match up to what we are teaching about Jesus and his love, then the gospel message that we teach week, weekly amounts to nothing. So we are, I always tell them, that we are the walking gospel. We are the walking gospel that draws the boys and girls to Jesus. So if you ask any of the boys and girls who have committed their life to faith over the past many years, there will be one thing in common. So and so showed me what love is. So and so showed me what it means to believe in Jesus. More than all the life skills that they remember, all the things that the officer says, maybe some, some words, but they saw and they believed. Israel, Israel was called to be a testimony to the nations around them. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. And going forward, God spoke about them being a great nation. Four times that God mentioned that in that that chapter. There you can go and read about it. And they are to be the envy of the other nations. Which means that when other nations look at Israel, they say, I want to be like Israel. And similarly, Deuteronomy is a record of how God, through his prophet Moses, passed on this good news of salvation, all the redemption story to Israel and through Israel to the rest of the nations. And so Moses knew, as Israel stand at this point in their history, as they are about to enter into the promised land, Moses knew in his heart, in his mind, that he is not going to go with them. The Lord has stopped him from going because he has disobeyed God. But nevertheless, he want them to go into the promised land fully equipped And so he's obedient to the Lord to keep teaching Israel to the day that he dies. So as a good teacher, he passed on all that God has revealed to him and commanded him to reveal, to teach the Israelites. But from his personal encounter with the Lord, Moses knew that Israel is not obeying a set of rules or a system of laws. But it is about the Lord God who redeemed and saved them out of Egypt, out of slavery. So Moses not only teach them verbally by the recounting of the events, but in the many years, the 40 over years that Moses was with them and many more to come to he dies to the enter into the promised land. He modeled to them what it means to have this covenantal relationship with the Redeemer. He modeled for them before them what it means to still trust God in times of difficulty. He modeled before them what it means to forgive and to still love when the people that you are loving, that you are forgiving, turns against you. We don't love a system, do we? We don't. But we love a person. Thus, Moses called the people to love God as their Savior, as a Redeemer, and as a response of their love to God, they obey God. And that is important. That's like the flow is important. Yeah, they love, and the response is obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 31, it set the stage for Moses as the authorized spokesperson representing Israel and teaching God's commandment to Israel. So if we see from the first point. Oh, I suppose to turn on my slides. Okay. okay, verse 31. But you, Moses, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules they shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. So you've been here, you've been joining us for the last few series, or last few sermons on the series in Deuteronomy. You have heard two sermons on Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you will know that the people fear the Lord. They fear to be in the presence of God. They fear that they will, be, they will perish if they, as sinner, come before a holy God. So what did they do? They say, Moses, we stay, we stay back. You go forward. So they said, Moses, if anything, you die, we are okay. So Moses goes. Moses, you go. You go near to God. You receive God's word. And then you come back and speak to us. And interestingly, God actually said yes. And so Moses appointed as the authorized representative of Israel and God's spokesperson from God to Israel. And so the first point that we able to look at is it promised to be enjoyed through obedience. And what does that mean for us? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. In 6, verse 1 and 2, this call to obey God's commandment is for the whole community. It's not just for the adults, it's not just for the the older ones, it's for the whole community. The current generation, their children, their children's children. And God demands the obedience of everyone in the community. And by highlighting the son, the son's sons, God is telling Israel that God's law is applicable to every ages. No one No one is too young to obey God. No one is too old to obey God. Because they're not obeying a system. They are believing and giving their life to a redeemer. And therefore, it's never too young to have this covenantal relationship with God. The call to obey, the call to do God's commandment is not just to dot the I and cross the T but it's a relational obedience. A relational obedience to the Redeemer. You love God, therefore you walk in the ways of Him. And that's what Moses is telling Israel. Love God and walk in His ways. And then verse 3, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may greatly multiply as the Lord, God of Israel, your father, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Their, will, their, their obedience will lead to what? the growth of Israel. And as they grow as a nation, they're going to enjoy the blessing of the land. And where did this come from? It goes all the way back to Genesis 12, when God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that his descendants would be as numerous as a sand on the shore, and the stars in the skies. And they will be blessed, and through them, others will be blessed as well. God has never forgotten this covenant. God has never forgotten this promise. And here, actually, Israel stands at a very pivotal point in history where they're going to stand and they're going to witness God unfolding His blessing first on Israel and then through Israel to the nation. And therefore, God says, I will bring you in to the land flowing with milk and honey. So what does it mean to live in a land filled with milk and honey? Slimy, wet, full of ants? Nah. It's not a literal sense of milk and honey, but it's a description of providence, providence that is more and beyond. Milk represents the farming and the sheep rearing industry that Canaanites are very kind of is part of their, 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 their livelihood. And the hunting, lightly, represent the provision of what is readily available in the wild. And so God is telling them the farm, the wild, you have everything that you need to live in this land. As you enter the land, The land is going to be handed over to you by none other than God and God Himself. So God is revealing to Israel the goodness of obeying and doing God's command. The goodness of believing, trusting, and loving their Savior. So when they set their vertical relationship right with God by worshipping God, that's the first half of the, the Ten Commandments, then they will... God will enable them to manage their horizontal relationship, the next sets of the commandment. And they're able to do that with God's help. They're able to do that in a godly fashion. And the outcome of that leaving out of God's commandment in God's land will lead to joy, will lead to promise, and will lead them to love God. And that's what God is telling Israel. Israel has been rescued from Egypt to live in the promised land under the law of God. And when they do so, nations around them will want to do likewise. They want to say, I want to have the law that you have. I want to have the God that you worship. And that is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. So what is Israel to hold on to? What is Israel to obey? So we know that in chapter 5, Moses recounted the Ten Commandments and then in chapter six here, he kind of summarised the ten commandments into this shema, the important summary of the commandment, as hear, O Israel. And what are they to hear? Sorry, what are they to hear in chapter four, in six, verse four to six? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. And with all your might, and these words I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. So, the Lord is a Lord of the, the Lord of promise is that one God that Israel is to obey. So, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees what was the greatest commandment, what did Jesus answer? Jesus quoted and recited the Shema. So, a few portion there. If you want to take down the notes, you can go and read it. In Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, Jesus echoed the words of, Hear, O Israel, The Lord your God is one God. And even till today, if you ask any Jews, they will recite this twice a day. In the morning and in their evening prayers. And so the phrase, the the phrase, Hear, O Israel, rings throughout Deuteronomy. And Moses is following this pattern of the wisdom tradition of portraying a parent calling a child to attention, to listen to the good teaching that the parent is going to bring before the child. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Wisdom called the hearer, my son, and commanded my son, the hearer, to listen to him as his father. And likewise here, God is using this wisdom, tradition, language to summon Israel, his son, to hear and to listen to what God is going to reveal about himself. Not a set of law, but about himself. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in NIV, in ESV, if you have your Bible, either the physical form or the or the E e e copy or e form. Uh, you see, there's a footnote there, and the footnote will tell you that there's about few translation depending on where you put the verb is. Right? Because the Hebrews has no verb, so in order to for us reading the English translation to understand, the translator need to put the e somewhere. But wherever they put, whether the Lord is God and the Lord is one, or the Lord God, the Lord is one. It doesn't change the message that God wants Israel to understand, but it affects the emphasis through this Shama. So we'll follow the, re- the rendering in ESV and NIV. And ESV and NIV kind of translated it as, yes, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <coughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, the Lord is one. And what are the possible meanings for this? A few possible meanings. One, The Lord is one, as Yahweh, the Lord, is a unity, one and not many. Second possibility is the Lord, as one is Yahweh, is united in His will and in His purpose. The third one, the third possible one is the Lord, is one, as in Yahweh, the Lord is the only God, not only for Israel, but for the whole universe. So in this context, I think, you will land very much on the Lord, number three, the Lord as the only God, not only for Israel, but for the whole universe. Because Israel is about to enter into the promised land where the Canaanites has their gods. God wants them to hold close to their hearts commandment number one, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. So Chris Wright helpfully illustrated it this way. Baal, the name of the Canaanite gods, was a very general name. The term Baal could be applied to various divine powers. The Canaanites could never have said Baal is one, or even comprehend the idea of such a statement that Baal is one. So as Israel crosses the Jordan and enters into the Canaanite territory, they'll be surrounded by this, what, the polytheistic religion, of the Canaanites. Israel must not turn to the left, must not turn to the right, as they walk the narrow path of obedience to the Lord. That the Lord God, the Lord is their God, the Lord is one, and the only one whom they are to worship. Does this still hold true to us today? Yes, absolutely. We are not spared from idolatry, in many parts of Africa, Asia, and, and South America, crafted images are being worshipped in many parts of the world. In a more modern affluent uh, culture, our idols may not be in the form of a crafted image, but nevertheless, we are not spared from idolatry. I Ah, okay. So the late Timothy Keller has these ab w- words of wisdom on idolatry in our modern culture. He said that the human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possession, even family, turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts defy, de- identify them as center of our lives, deify them as center of our life. Because we think that they can give us significance, security, safety, fulfillment if we attain them. So ours may not be in the form of a crafted idol sitting somewhere in a house. But ours could be the things that God has given to us and we turn them into something that we worship. So idolatry is real. For Israel, real for us. And God gave Israel this four-pronged attack against idolatry. And I'll explain the first three, which I think is more applicable to us today. First, is to love God 100%. And verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your might. The word in Psalm 103, verse 1, I guess it helps us to understand what does it mean to love God with all our hearts, all our soul, and all our minds. In Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. See, to love God with all their hearts, their soul, and their might is to put the entire being to loving God. Okay, so in our action, they are to love God. In their thoughts, in their thinking, they are to love God. And in their feeling, they are to love God. And so that's what it means, I believe, to love the Lord with all, his, all their mights, or their heart, their their soul, and their might. But first and foremost, God showed Israel what it means to love. Because God showed Israel that they love because he first loved them. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. So how does Israel know love? Israel no love because God first demonstrated that love towards them. And then when they love God, they will remember God's love for them and His rescue from Egypt. And they will remember God as their Redeemer as well as the giver of the good things that they are about to possess. And so this will actually help them, prevent them from turning to idols who do nothing for them. Loving God continues to be the way to respond to God's love for us. God rescued Israel from the physical slavery in Egypt. But His rescue for them is also spiritual because He rescued them from Satan who turns them away from worshipping Him to worshipping all the other things around them. And likewise, through our Lord Jesus, We are rescued from Satan's grubs to worship the same and one true God. And so what we are to do, we are to love God as a first strategy to keep us away, to keep us from turning to idols. The second one is to put God's word in our hearts. The opening passage from Psalms 119 verse 9 to 11 that we read earlier on beautifully expressed it this way, right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the first one is to love God. Second way, the second strategy that God gave to Israel and to us is to put his word in our hearts. The third one is you to pass on this salvation story, to pass on this promise to the next generation. And Israel will do well and enjoy the blessing as a nation when the old to the young know this God. Hear his word. Obey them and carefully do them in every moment of their life. And so Moses is challenging the people to do what? To diligently teach and pass on the promises, the salvation story to their children, children, children. They are to talk about God and His salvation when they sit down to chill at home, or when they rise to tend the field, to go about the town to do things. They are to talk about God. And before they go to bed, as they lie down, lay, lay on the bed as a whole family. They are to talk about God. And they wake up in the first thing in the morning, they talk about God. These are time markers, isn't it? That, that encompasses every moment and every aspect of our lives. But you may be asking yourself, hey, so does it mean that every time they talk, is about God, 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 and nothing else? Nothing about farming, nothing about their lives? They do talk about that, but here's my understanding, isn't it? That if you have a conversation with somebody passionate about a particular subject. If you have, you will know that this, the topic will come out again and again in various forms and various ways, right? So far, some of you know that I enjoy bird watching and I enjoy photographing birds. And so every so often in my conversation with people, I will talk about birds. I will illustrate my points from the observation about birds. Well, that's what I'm doing to you now, right? Talking about birds. But I don't just talk about birds, is it? I talk about God, I talk about Apple devices, I talk about coffee, I talk about plants. And these are some of the passion points that I have. And if you talk to me long enough, talk to me, you'll hear some of this coming up. And so it's quite natural, isn't it, for us to talk about things that we are passionate about as the moment arises. So the point is this, right? That when we are passionate about something, or a topic of idea grips us, it will surface in our conversation with one another. So for Israel, what must they be passionate about? What must grip them to the point where they will talk about it? God's rescue of them from slavery to the promised land. God's commandments that God is giving to them so that they can live well in the land. Thus they have to talk about it with their children, their children, children. And furthermore, the main way of Israel communicating history at that point in time is via what they call oral tradition. Key historical accounts are passed on verbally. So for Israel, it's more than a commandment that they are to pass down. So as they lie down with their kids, as they wake up with their kids, as they sit around and chill with their kids, as they walk around with their children, their children will be hearing about how they, their parents, encounter God how they their parents obey God and what God means to them when they are tending the field what God means to them when they have an argument with somebody what God means to them when they have a neighbor that they do not like and they have to love the neighbor so someone in my DG helpfully highlighted that God does not want us to be Sunday service Christian God wants His disciples, His people, whom He has rescued to express their love for God every day, every moment. Because there's every time, every moment, there's something for us to thank God for. God wants Israel to love and to obey Him as a Redeemer and in turn model what it means to walk in the way of the Lord to their children, children. God wants the parents to show that they actually yearn for God and that yearning will be transmitted, will be demonstrated, will be modeled to their children. What are your kids imitating you? Our kids imitate us, what we do. So you see some of the behavior in your kids, you ask where did they learn that from? The first answer is, maybe it could be from me. Are we counting our blessing and giving thanks for the blessing that God has given to us? Are we putting our trust and our hope in Christ as we navigate the challenges in life? Are we depending on God in our ins and our outs every moment of our life? If we are not thankful to God, then we will not be open, openly thankful to God and we cannot model thankfulness. If we are not putting our trust and our hope in Christ, when challenges knock on our door, then we cannot model trust and hope for our children to know that God can be trusted. God will journey with us. And if we're not depending upon God to, for our ins and our outs. Then we cannot model what it means to surrender 100% our dependence upon God to our children. So what are we passing on to the next generation? God's word and God's promises a total dependence on God. And here I want to address the parents in particular, not that the singers can shut their eyes, their ears, right? but particularly to the parents. How, how do you see your role in parenting your children in the Lord? Deuteronomy 6 calls us not to pass on this important role of teaching our children of God's word and God's promises to others. God called us to teach our children what it means to love God, we teach them to say, hear, O Christian, love our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls. Are you teaching our children that? Or is the domestic helper doing that? The childcare centre? God, Want us to dem- to model what it means to live in Christ. The worst case, you may say, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I don't I don't I don't renegade, I don't kind of pass on to my helper, my grandparents, you know. But maybe children church. Every Sunday I just pack my kids to children church and expect the teachers to teach the children enough of spiritual truth to last them for the whole week. Then they can come back again for the next week. This is not what children' church is for. If you think carefully, if the God, if the Lord, calls us to teach our children, then the children' church on a Sunday or a Saturday is partnering with us to complement, to supplement what we are teaching our children Monday to Friday to Saturday Sunday. They're just doing it in that one and a half hour in a more focus. A more specific way. So, parents, I hope that you think differently about children' church. They are not to take over what you are teaching your children. They are to supplement what you are teaching your children for the whole week. So, I pray that the mistakes will just change our mindset about teaching our children and our understanding of partnering our children or handing over our children, partnering with the children' church to bring out our children in the Lord's way. And so these are the strategies that the Lord gave Israel as they make their way into the promised land. Without love, without God's word rooted in their hearts, and without the intentional passing on of the promises, they will easily be drawn to the ways of the Canaanites. And this, These are the danger. The dangers that awakes Israel. And what are they? The first danger is about forgetting God when there is plenty. So, Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 10 says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land and He swore to your father, to Abraham, to Isaac, to give you the great and good city that He did not build, Houses full of all, things, all good things that you did not fill, cistern that you did not dig, and vineyards that olive tree that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him whom you shall serve, and by his name you shall share. swear. Israel going to be transformed from a nomadic people, moving around the wilderness into land owners. And the land they're going to occupy, the land that God has promised to them, is going to be complete and full. But Moses wants Israel to know, as they enter into this land, there is no effort on their part. God is just going to hand it over to them on a silver plate. The land that they're going to occupy be filled with milk and honey, and good, and great city, houses full of good things, cistern full of water, vineyard and olive trees. And all this, God is going to give to them. Maybe in our modern day term, is this right? you come across a house, an excellent living condition, newly renovated, fully furnished, fully decked out with all the CV control, smart home devices, and with all the bells and whistles, and the owner saying, I give it to you. Israel is going to go woo and ah over all these new gifts. And then what will happen? The danger is God wants them. They will forget God. Fullness can lead us to forgetfulness, especially forgetfulness from where they came from and what Yahweh has done for them. See, God does not give us the gifts to draw us away from Him. And so we have to ask ourselves, isn't it? What has God blessed me with Actually, how has that distanced me from God? The quote on idolatry is very apt, isn't it? A much-needed career, yes, but it's making you work long hours, missing church, missing DG. Is that what God has given you the gift for? So I'm always encouraged by folks when I talk to them how they take a stand to guard family life, DG life, church life, from their daily grind of work. And the give of a beautiful baby. But then after the baby is born, life revolves around that baby. And you stop going church because the kids need to sleep. You stop going DG because the kids asleep at 7 o'clock. And I always heartened to hear accounts of basic leaders bringing their newborns. And I see them on, when they come to basic. Trolley, hand-carrying. They come and they surf. Couples will bring their babies to DG. And my DG has two couples of that. And what they will do? They will bring. Baby will sleep in one of my rooms. And, and everything is over. There's always this hush-hush. Switch off all the lights. Be quiet. Then they'll go into the room. Car car's ready. Okay, car is ready. Mom will carry the baby and quickly whisk into the car. Why? The concern is, the, the fear is, the baby will wake up and stay awake for the rest of the night. <laughs> but they still do that, weekly, weekend, every week. They'll bring their child. We have some time playing with the child. Child will go to bed, and then they'll carry them home. And these are models that I think we'll, I want us to know that it's possible, not doubting and not undermining the difficulty of raising young child. we also have good models that show us that if we trust the Lord God will help us. The second danger is the danger of running after other gods which we talked about much earlier, earlier just now. And if Israel adopt idolatry lifestyle of the Canaanites they'll be tempted to turn away from God and turn to self to live in the land that God has given to them. So God warns them that they'll be wiped out like the Canaanites. The third one, the third danger is doubting God in hardship. And verse 16 tells us, you shall not put the Lord your God to test as you test him in my They have done that many things while wandering around in the wilderness. They question God, they murmur against God, they doubt God's ability to care for them and to give them water or food. But see, God has done so much for them. And so God is telling them, You do not need to test me. You just need to look at and remember what I did for you. And you know my love for you. And this holds true for us today, isn't it? How often we wonder when we go through difficult times, God loves me? How often we ask ourselves, Is God there for me? And so the way to navigate away from this danger is to diligently keep God's command to do what is right and going back to the strategy that God has given to us to turn us away from all this distraction and to keep us to the straight, straight and narrow path. And the last, the last thing that God wants us to do is to pass on the promise. As Moses concludes his, his exposition of the Ten commandment. He points them to a very practical yet important question that the next generation will ask. In verse twenty, he says, "When your sons, sorry, when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimony and the statutes and the rules that Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to the son: See, children will ask as they venture into the promised land." Mom, Dad, why are we doing this? Mom, Dad, what is the law for? Mom, Dad, who is this God that you say rescue rescue us? And Moses gave the Israelites a doubt, the abridged version of the Exodus story. But similarly, to those of us who are second-generation Christian, for those of us who have children who are second-generation Christian, they may be asking the same question, why do we need to go to church? Why do we need to go DG? Why do we need to do family devotion? What does it mean to trust God when our family is going through tough and challenging times? So just as Moses provided an abridged version of Exodus event, what is our story that will tell our children? And one of our, our, my DG made share for her, it was Romans 5, 6 to 11. And in the G's of that Romans 5, 6 to 11, It's about God dying for us while we are still ungodly. God dying for us while we are still sinner. But for you, it could be other parts of the New Testament, other parts of the Bible story. John 3 16, Ephesians, Colossians. But what it is, do we have a story to tell our children? Do we have a testimony of your own conversion? to share with your children? Do you have a testimony of your own trust and hope in Christ? Do you have a testimony of dependence upon God to share with your children? For those of us who are children or singers in our midst, I hope you have not switched off from the sound when I say I'm targeting the parents. My encouragement to you is this, right? that all these are as applicable to you as it is to the parents in our midst. Why? By God's grace, you'll be parents one day. And in a way, you are in a better position than the parents that we are now today. Because what you do is you've heard all this, you can actually better prepare for parenthood. But for some of us, some of us, we are spiritual parents to younger Christians. Maybe we are the point of contact for our non-Christian friends Asking about the hope that we have in Christ. So the question is, what are we to say to them? Do we live our life oozing out Jesus in our family life, our work life, among our friends? I hope we are. If we're not, not too late to turn back. The closing song that we'll be singing later, we sang earlier just now, Pass the Promise, will be our response to knowing. The promise that we enjoin, and God called us to pass it on through our obedience. The law of the promise is one God, and we are to pass on that promise to those who have heard of, who have not heard of it, not heard of the gospel, or for those who are asking us, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And so there will be our closing song later after the communion. And I pray that you'll be our response and also a song for us to commit to pass on these promises, this promise to the next generation.